Trust is a check, Tommy. It's looking good to, from my side of the uh, Millennium Noggin, mate. Excellent. Probably going to need some uh, dangling carrots, check. <laughs> We've got plenty of dangling carrots on board, Tommy. We, uh, we're looking like we're ready to go. It's 2019. It's going to be a big one. Buckle up. flight mode. We are. That was a okay. very, very smooth takeoff, Tommy. The first time launching Millennium Noggin for 2019. Yes, Rawdon. So we uh, have made reference to the Millennium Noggin mm. in the past mm. and we had some time off over Christmas and we spoke to the powers at B at mm. the Eagle Waves radio studio yep. and they coordinated yeah. a Millennium Noggin. Yeah. And we are now officially, officially in hyperspace. Well, we're in hyperspace. I think we're heading over the other side of the world, yeah. It's a uh, Hyperspace, really, we should be getting there quickly, but it's a, it's a different hyperspace. It's going to take a little while. We've got time to talk. Yeah, so we've got Dan Garner on the episode mm. today, so we'll be beaming him up from somewhere yeah. over Canada, I yeah. do believe. Yeah, we'll hover, I think, at Calgary. I think we'll sort of uh, hover over there and uh, teleport him up into the Millennium Noggin. Uh, we'll tell him to watch the uh, shoes off, leave those shoes off at the door when he mm -hmm. comes in, because we do have the shag pile downstairs, Tommy. You can feel it now between the toes. Or oh, wiggling through the toes. Just mm. delightful. Really mm. good stuff. Mm. Right, I mate. It's a very exciting 2019 that we've got coming it's up. It's big. With Under the Bar podcast. So, mm. obviously, Dan Garner we talked to today, mm. he's going to be out in Australia February, mm. so next month. Mm. Um, we'll be spending some time. practically here. Yep. Spending some time with him in Sydney. Yes. On the, I think it's the 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Ooh, yeah. That, that could be the be. Friday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, yes, yes. It I'll sounds get, right. So the Friday is the, the, the free uh, business uh, online sort of uh, workshop to mm -hmm. sort of uh, giving back to the to the industry. Feels uh, he's got a bit to offer there. That would be absolutely awesome. That's free. Yep. And then the, the, the fat loss and the hypertrophy, I think, are on the Saturday and Sunday, full full day. Uh, seminars. Yeah, so he's, excellent. Uh, he's really gone balls deep on this one, Tommy. Happy with those dates? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was yeah. the 23rd and 24th, correct? I believe so. Correct. Okay, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Yeah. And uh, we've got Dan coming on today, and he's talking about... Um, the concept of metabolic damage, uh -huh. reverse dieting, mm. flexible dieting, mm. and a few other interesting things. So Look, really looking forward to this interview. Yeah, I think he's going to... Um, well, this is no, he just filters out the BS and uh, mm. just lays down the facts, which is really, really good. So looking forward to that one. That looking was a cracker. Okay. Then coming up in the first half of 2019, mm. some other guests we've got already in the can and ready to drip out. Mm. We've got a wonderful three-part series with yes. the muscle nerd, Luke Lehman. Yeah. And this Long is time coming. Long time coming. So uh, wasn't it fun having him? We actually had him, the pleasure of having him in the studio. And mm. obviously anyone that's been to any of the, the muscle nerds or had anything to do back in the day with the Pollock group, 
will know how uh, intense and uh, and uh, uh, animated and passionate uh, Luke is, and it was it was it was uh, quite a hive of energy in the uh, the Millennium Noggin on that day. And it was I think we ran some we checked some ketones and mm-hmm. some beta hydroxybutyrate in the blood, and mm-hmm. we we checked blood sugar levels. Yours was a little bit high. Was a bit high. Mine was pretty good, but yeah, uh, yeah it was it was absolutely fascinating, and uh, we learned so much. And it was like I said, a long time coming. So yeah, really I think he was uh, fueled by some ephedrine. So yeah, he, he was and a modafinil, I think he, he particularly energized. Yeah. So we've got that fun. Uh, with Luke Lehman coming up. We have also a three-part series with Lucid Luke Tullick yes. from Lucid Health Coaching. Mm. Uh, now, I believe, a member of Flex Success. Yes, yes, he's uh, he's collaborated. I know, I know Flex, uh, obviously, our listeners would be aware of Flex and... Uh, Dean and Lizzie. Dean, Lizzie, mm-hmm. Dalton and uh, Alan yep. was the team. Uh, a really that, good team. Yeah, they helped us... Uh, integral player in the uh, evil genius down on the tour and uh, back in back way back in the day in 2018 mm-hmm. and um yeah they did they did throw a lot dangle a line out and said they're looking for a, a few new coaches to add to the team and um yeah luke luke's one of those and there's another one coming uh shortly so yeah absolutely awesome stuff there but but we had a, a lot of fun with uh, luke again in the studio mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, been on the show a few times before so uh, that's going to be absolutely awesome we've got the continuation of the hypertrophy series ah, yes. with dr jordan shallow the muscle doc yep so we've got another few another three more parts to come mm. in that it's uh, big which is big and very detailed so that's exciting um, we've got the world's foremost expert on gluten, Dr. Tom O'Brien. Ah, yes. He'll be coming up on the show. And I think there was some, uh, it wasn't, that's a really, really insightful uh, interview we did there. And it yes. wasn't as as uh, fatal and uh, final if you do have a bit of gluten. It was a, a slightly different spin on, a, on what we already know. And, and for me, it was quite reassuring to, to sort of comprehend to what, level gluten can manifest as being problematic and, yes. and, and how to work around it but it was quite enlightening and uh, not to be missed that one so yep. a slightly different uh, perspective there from and like you said he, he knows his uh, craft very well absolutely absolutely and then um, we've got some stuff with Brods yes. coming up which is exciting as yeah, well it's so always, always a lot of fun with Brods the evil genius uh, Broderick Chavez uh, mm-hmm. he will be back on the program and he is coming out to Australia in late March correct and correct. We're, we're just currently in the moment we're like well okay look if you're going to be out here anyway mm. we should probably collaborate Absolutely. and uh, and do some stuff so that's in we're, the pipeline as well it is in the pipeline and uh, he's out for the arnold arnold classic so he has uh he's working with a um he's got a few i think he's helping quite a few powerlifters come into that one so yep. he is uh loosely associated with the powerlifting but he has uh andrew hudson ifbb pro from south africa i think it is and uh, Hudson's one of the uh, professional athletes that's going to be competing on the on the, the pro stage. So um, he's here to support his because uh, uh, Broads is actually coaching him. So super exciting there. And yeah, we're, we're thinking of doing something in um, Sydney and uh, Melbourne, and and potentially Richard Collins over uh, uh, over in Perth. How you going, man? He um, he's interested in in a, in a midweek. Uh, flying uh, potentially Broads and myself over that way. So if mm-hmm. you're from Perth and you and you're interested, make sure you. Uh, Message me, Brods, or, or Rich, uh, or even you, or anyone, uh, to let me know that that's uh, that's something that you want to make happen. But that's in in, in March, yeah. Okay, Sean Cooper, the brains behind Sabido Supplements, mm. he's back on board with the program this year in 2019. We've got a giveaway we'll be running with him via our social media channels. Mm-hmm, He'll mm-hmm. be giving away a packet of his outstanding mm. Amino Supreme product. Amino. Um, it's an essential amino electrolyte blend. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the best, if not the best, intra-workout formulas out on the market. One of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. A, it's a nice, clean product, and a lot of research went into that. 
dotted I's, crossed T's, and he wanted to create something that was, um, you know, uh, naturally sweetened and uh, ticked as many boxes as he possibly could. He could have made something a lot easier and a lot quicker. He already had some BCAA formulas, mm. but it had uh, sucralose, I think, uh, was artificial sweetener. So he wanted to uh, uh, steer away from that and, and, and really have all uh, nothing in there that could be potentially uh, not nasty, but potentially problematic for some individuals yep. over time. If you're thinking of 30 years of using EAAs every, yes. every workout. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. you know we shouldn't have artificial that 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 uh, volume of artificial sweetener. But Very you know the Sabido range, uh, the WPIs. He's got the creatine, glutamine. Um, you know some some uh, lifting apparel, so wrist wraps, knee wraps, all that type of stuff. So he's come on board. Uh, he's going to be a, a the major sponsor for 2019. So that's really exciting. Giving a, I think he agreed. Uh, I think we got it in writing, but he's going to give away an amino uh, uh, a pack every every week. So that's mm-hmm. absolutely awesome for our listeners and guys that support the under the bar. Um, uh, program. Yep. So there'll be more information on that on the social media channels. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much everything, Rawdon. If people want to get in contact with you, yep. you're um, obviously still prepping your athletes yep. uh, via online means, yep, but yep, you are online. doing some stuff back on the floor as well. Mate, I am. I dusted the Ravens off, and I'm I'm back on the gym floor. You know, shaved down the pins. Mm, you know, that's particularly exciting. put some volume into the quads and calves, so <laughs> they uh, they look respectable. You yeah. Know, so the, the the young bucks move out of the way when I use want to use the, uh, the the squat rack yep. but yeah in there in the gym floor at the lift performance center that's my home club at the moment uh, with Cato and the, the crew down there awesome guys so I am doing a few sessions of PT so if you're interested you can hit me up for that um, and obviously the the physique preparation for professional photo shoots or uh, you know uh, competition I, I'm still doing that online and um, and then any mentor Skype sessions that they yeah. uh, face-to-face uh, mentor sessions that they might be interested in I can do that as well tell you all my secrets so any of that type of stuff hit me up on uh, on my Instagram the Dubai method or uh, Facebook or my page Rawdon Dubai you can uh, inbox me there or the Dubai method at Gmail com excellent for myself mm. uh, online coaching mm-hmm. uh, there's a PTOR mentoring course yep. and all the information for all of that is at tomhewitt.com.au awesome and uh, just get in contact via that channel okay. if you wish to so that's pretty much all the I dotting and T crossing that needs to be done uh, our resident Wookie Cam if you could hit us with uh, some sort of sting and um, we'll move one step closer to Dan Garner <laughs> Excellent stuff. Oh, <laughs> just a little uh, blip in the hyperspace there, yeah, I was. do believe. We, we came out of hyperdrive there, so yeah, we're, uh, just we're getting close. Moment. Now, Rawdon, before we get to Dan Garner, some sad news. Uh, mm. We had a very significant death in the industry, obviously, late last year with mm. the passing of Charles Poliquin. Yep. And uh, another very sad one, and mm. uh, all too soon, uh, and a guest that we have had on the program, Dr. John Chrysler. Yes. He was back on the show in episode number 40, which yeah. was probably a couple of years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, unfortunately died at, just in his early 60s. Yeah, 61, I think. It was uh, just earlier in January, correct? And mm. um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, heart uh, issues there. I remember for any of our listeners that did listen to the uh the episode with him, he quite uh, comically uh, reviewed his uh, his experience with having a heart attack, and yeah. uh, you know, got got the uh, the ambulance and uh, instructed the various uh, paramedics to, 
you know how to how to treat him while he was, I think he he was wasn't he initiating the beating of his heart by sort of you know doing like, he a, might have like been. a he was Heimlich maneuver on the floor or something yeah. to keep his heart pumping to a crazy uh, um, experience there that he talked us through but um, but absolutely awesome and he was doing amazing things with the uh, testosterone not replacement therapy but testosterone therapy and mm. uh, really um, pioneering the use of other things like uh, the the citrate and the anastrozole these anti-estrogen and, and selective estrogen receptor modulators to to try and treat testosterone um, deficiency for men without actually using testosterone, testosterone. Uh, mm. injections or, or, or gels or uh, implants so he was really um, doing some amazing things and I, I gather he was treating from all around the world so he will be sadly missed sadly missed um, yeah but it looks like yeah uh, issues with uh, with his heart uh, it's worth going back to have a listen to that episode, but uh, mm. certainly if you were pursuing that line of treatment, mm. it would be worth uh, listening to that just to pick up some of the subtleties or to know that there are these other avenues of exploration yep. which you could discuss with your own general practitioner with your yeah. own practitioner to, to seek that treatment because he was all about finding that, that sweet spot in the balance. Yeah, good point you made there. That was one of the big things I took away from uh, John Chrysler and uh, and and reading other things that he posted on various forums. I followed him on uh, on, on social media platforms, and um, you know his uh, just his the way he looked at estrogen management, and 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 like you said that that sweet spot of estrogen management where if it's a little bit too high, you don't get the benefit of the testosterone therapy. Mm. A little bit too low, don't get the benefit of the testosterone therapy. So it seemed to be really individual specific and. Uh, and I think a lot of uh, a lot don't realise that that just that subtle management of estrogen can be a massive player uh, in regards to how you actually feel on mm. testosterone therapy. And I think that's what I really one of the big things that I took away from him is uh, rather than just dismissing estrogen as a as a you and I, well we're men, we don't need estrogen. It was like actually, yeah, libido, hair, skin, joints, nails, conversion mm. of GH, IGF one, all these things are. You know, cardiac health, cardiac health, absolutely yeah. uh, require estrogen. So if it's suppressed too much. You know, you you do feel pretty average, even though it's not our dominant hormone. Mm. It's still a, a hormone that will uh, we do need in uh, in and uh, sufficient amount, and that amount varies from person to person. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it is what it is, and um, I'm sure he's uh, will be remembered and um, for the amazing things he did in the industry, and uh, you know, I'm sure he helped thousands and thousands of men actually uh, live. Uh, far healthier and happier lives mm. um, with his uh, with his help. So okay, well, very sad news. Um, time for Dan Garner. Well, look, it's very exciting to be here in the Eagle Waves Radio Studio once again, Rawdon. It is exciting. We've got, uh, as Cam says, Dan Gardner. Yes, <laughs> he's been out doing the gardening. As out the everybody back. says you mean. <laughs> everybody throws a D in my name. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. You're not a unique snowflake, uh, Cam. You're the same as everyone else. But it, it sounds like Dan. There's not much gardening going on over there, but quite a lot of snowflakes. Ice skating. Yeah. Camps. Absolutely. Yeah. My my one business partner was just ice skating in a parking lot on the way to work today. So it tells you what Canada's like right now. And the stereotypes oh, are true. We ice skate to work sometimes. That happens. I don't believe you. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That will happen today. My hockey training business partner pulled over and skated on the road originally just for the Instagram, yeah. for the Instagram story. But it ended up being doable. He even got his hockey stick out and everything. Wow. Wow. That's pretty well, cool. That seems pretty cool to me. But from the outside looking in, oh, wow, you know, winter wonderland. Imagine all that ice. Yeah, How cool yeah. would that be? But you guys hate it. It's like, eh, you got to drive slow. There's accidents everywhere. It's kind of move. It's freezing. It's, it's horrible. I want to be in Australia where the sun's out. 
Yeah, we had different experiences. He got out and skated on the in a parking lot today for fun. But I actually drove to the gym and did leg day today. So <laughs> when I got outside, it's like leg soreness and cramping plus yeah. ice equals Dan walking like a baby giraffe yes. for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Legs just shaking everywhere like yeah. a fool. So mm. we had very different experiences this morning. Yeah, well, better you than me, man. You than me. <laughs> hey, if you come back to Lake Louise, well, uh, yeah. might be you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I have. Uh, <laughs> I've been there. Where, where, yeah, before we went on air for our listeners, I was just talking about uh, the fact that Dan likes to get away, uh, away from civilization, and uh, he'd I actually seen pics of you going to Lake Louise, and I think it was long. It was a while ago. Tell me, I think it was two thousand two. I was there. And uh, we did Lake Louise and obviously the I skied the four. So um, stayed in Banff, did Lake Louise, Sunshine, Norkey. So three. There's three mountains there, isn't there? So I, 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 I snowboarded there. I was there for two weeks. It was awesome. Banff's beautiful as yeah. well. Oh, it's the one of the most beautiful places in the world. One of the most yeah. underrated places in the world. Not a lot of people talk about Banff, but when you're there, you always yeah. want to go back. It's beautiful. It's absolutely. And there's just the the mountain range. Like everywhere you look, is just these mountain peaks. It's crazy. So so pretty. Yeah, for sure. Before we actually get into the content for today, Rorden, and we're going to chat about reverse dieting mm-hmm. and calories in, calories out, Some all that kind of stuff. Flexible dieting talk as well. Yep. Just on the theme that we were on, and and um, I was talking about I've been away camping over the uh-huh. weekend, and I had a, a lucky experience to be a million miles away from phone reception and mm-hmm. anything else, and um, it just a very unique uh, turn of events which arose in a just a lush green campsite mm. where we could all just walk around barefoot. Dan actually, he's written a book on sleeping. Yeah. It's got but, all the bells and whistles in it, Tom. Yes. Everything you need to know about sleep. <laughs> everything, absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. No, no stone left unturned. <laughs> yes, except one critical piece of simple evidence backed up by the research, Dan. So can you just unpack that one for the listener and then we'll, mm. uh, we'll get stuck into some more uh, detailed stuff. Yeah, of course. So if anybody wants to read an incomplete book on sleep science, <laughs> yeah. you can check out Eat, Sleep, Burn by, an a, by, by a man named Dan Garner. Mm. And what he failed to miss was one of the most simple things that you could ever slap yourself in the face with. And it was mm. I actually came across literature early this year, and it demonstrated very clearly that every single test subject in this clinical trial was able to completely correct their circadian rhythm with only seven days of camping and it makes perfect sense right we've got no cell phones we've got no tvs we've got no laptops we have to wake up with the sun we have to go to bed when it gets dark out all of this makes sense and (laughs) i had a good laugh at myself because I'm always the guy who's about like root causes and keeping things simple and all that. And I've got a book full of references and sciences and all kinds of protocols. And then <laughs> I didn't tell anybody just to leave the city. I told them to do all this other stuff. So it, it was it was a funny realization. Well, I mean, yeah. that, clearly that's uh, version 2.0. You can uh, all new and improved. Got everything you need to know and just put that study in. There yeah. you go. You can repackage new and improved, it and meaning don't do anything that I just said <laughs> yeah. and do something that's 100% for free, which yeah. is get the heck out of your city and go camping for seven days mm. and just relax. And then, I mean, interesting subject. So the circadian rhythm that you're talking about there, that's your sleep-wake cycle and, and how your body clock, everything's set up to work optimally, yeah? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. When it comes to the circadian rhythm, I think that's an emerging area of research. I think it's a little early to be making full meal plans and training programs and stuff based off of that. But um, the, it's, the circadian rhythm regulates many pathways involved with hormonal balance, yeah. with body temperature, with performance, with um, blood pressure. There's so many different things that circadian rhythms connected to. So it is vital that it stays in check. So it's vital that you go camping. Yeah. <laughs> Take a message. Beautiful. And, and what gets it out of whack? I mean, you mentioned no cell phones, no laptops, stuff like that. Is it the fact that we're working, you know, into the hours or, or, or doing things that we, when we should be sleeping, that throws it all out? Like what's the catalyst to get it sideways? Like it, you hear it is often for, for a lot of us these days. Yeah, for sure. And that's a, it's a great question. There, there can be various catalysts when it comes to a disruption in one circadian rhythm. Um, one of the main catalysts can simply be jet lag. So going from country to country, if you're doing seminars or if you um, have jet lag but you're in one place because you're a shift worker, um, that can be something that really disrupts one circadian rhythm, which is essentially the balance between cortisol and melatonin throughout the day and when they should and when they shouldn't be peaking. So jet lag is definitely one catalyst that can cause one to be disrupted and therefore would warrant some protocols and some um, introspection as to what you should do moving forward. Another couple of things could be uh, exposure to blue light at nighttime. When you're looking at screens, you're looking at your cell phones, um, exposure to blue light coming in your eyes can actually decrease your own body's melatonin production, which is important. Melatonin is important for sleep length and sleep quality. So staying away from phones and TVs and stuff within two hours of bedtime or at least turning an app on like f.lux or twilight these two apps can be installed in computers Uh, if you don't want those apps you can wear some really dorky looking glasses that also block (laughs) out blue light that uh, you can use as well Um, and that's something that's uh, important to point out i think another one's just general stress a lot of people don't know that cortisol runs antagonistic with melatonin. So if cortisol remains high, melatonin will be low. Just like if um, estrogen is really high, you're going to have lower levels of testosterone unless it's being pharmaceutically augmented. Now, when it comes to your cortisol melatonin, that, that balance needs to be in a proper ratio. And if we are stressed out in the evenings, you're going to be depleting the neurotransmitters and hormones that are responsible for a good night's sleep. So stress management is another big Big one, and I think finally, what I would answer um, in this, you know, to make a short answer really long, <laughs> I would I would say that um, a lot of people don't know that the bugs within your gut are actually nocturnal. So there are many bugs in terms of bacterial infections and parasitic infections that are actually nocturnal. And bugs, of course, are a stressor to our biology. So when bugs are nocturnal, these things can wake up and be more active, create colonies, replicate more, migrate to different areas of the body. For example, blastocystis hominis is a parasite that can actually migrate to the gallbladder and therefore disrupt fat metabolization. There's a lot of migration and funky things that can happen, but they're all under the umbrella of biology stressors. And when those bugs wake up, a biology stressor is going to create a stress response. So you could have a stress response by increasing stress hormones, which in turn reduce your melatonin. 
And yeah. here you're trying to supplement with melatonin or even camping wouldn't solve it in this scenario because it would have been a parasitic infection. So there's a lot of different ways you can tackle the circadian rhythm function, but it means it is still very vital that one cares about that and uh, make sure that they get up at the same time every day and go to sleep at the same time every day. Mm. Comes back to uh, consistency is key. Yeah. One final one there, Dan. What are your thoughts on the impact that the Wi-Fi has and just the amount of uh, electromagnetic uh, stuff going on, you know, in a busy city centre or even just in your house? Does that have any significant impact? Not that I'm aware of, to be honest. Mm. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about it, but... Um, in in the defense of those who have talked about it, I simply haven't put the time and dedicated research required in order to properly answer that question. Okay. So I think that experience would tell me that it doesn't matter because I have clients who live in New York City and L.A. and they're fine and healthy and their lab work looks great. Yeah. So I would say from my clients who live in cities that have over 10 million people and therefore probably 10 million Wi-Fi's because everybody lives on it. I think that uh, experience would tell me it doesn't matter, but I am going to admit that I'm unfamiliar with the data on Wi-Fi. Very good. Very good. So you can have a good circadian rhythm, but uh, be sterile. (laughs) Potentially. (laughs) Sleeping like a baby, but uh, can't make babies. But shoot blanks. Yeah. Well, if if Instagram's worth it, then you might as well just keep the Wi-Fi. You're fine. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Well, that's a a terminology that I hadn't heard today, but you do it all for the gram. Right. I I just assumed that that was for some sort of... uh, Gram of Coke. A gram of Coke, yeah. (laughs) That's where I'm coming from, but... (laughs) You're going, yeah, Yeah. thumbs up when uh, Dan said that. Yeah, yeah, but then again, I'm not on social media. No. Right, Dan. um, What were you doing camping then? Do you guys just go out and do a bunch of recreational drugs out there? (laughs) Or is this like Burning Man or what? Well, Oh, look, recreational mushroom, mushrooms. Li- I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some plant-based material that was used mm. to. Uh, well, you got some of that, that grass from underfoot. And yeah, just, that's right. Uh, <laughs> just put it in there, packed it into the the vaporizer. Yeah, little little ayahuasca <laughs> trip going on here. Silence, look, silence. silence. Yeah. <laughs> radio silence. Radio silence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, that's a topic for another day, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Dan, look, uh, reverse dieting is something that. Controversial. It is quite controversial, and and uh, Rawdon and I have had many discussions, both on and off mic. Something that Rawdon deals with uh, with his clientele in particular mm. on on a regular basis, and I've heard very legitimate and good arguments from people I really respect, saying that nope, just bring calories straight back up to where they need to be because the body fat's going to come on anyway. Mm. And then I've heard. Well, the body's in a state after an aggressive diet where it's just going to store more fat. Hypersensitive, perhaps. Yeah, than it would otherwise. So it makes sense to reverse diet them. So I think uh, it would be nice to get your spin on this particular topic. Yeah, this is definitely a controversial topic. There's a lot of people saying a lot of different things. Um, which makes it like any other topic in nutrition, actually. So yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. just nutrition is yep. controversial. <laughs> but when, when it comes to this kind of thing, I mean, the, the, the term most people coin is metabolic damage. And that's kind of why reverse dieting was ever born to begin with. 
and metabolic damage when it's properly defined i think that's one of the biggest problems to begin with i think a lot of people say it but when we don't have a working definition of it then it's kind of hard to even have a conversation about because mm. metabolic damage i mean human metabolism is thousands and thousands and thousands of reactions happening every minute so we have to make sure that we have a working definition here so metabolic damage when it's properly defined this would suggest that you're suffering metabolic consequences even after you began refeeding. So for example, let's say that you ate at a certain level of body composition and you went into a deficit for an entire year and you got extremely lean to enter a bodybuilding contest and then afterwards you're going to revert back to your original body composition after the year diet that you went through to get ready for that show. But over time the metabolic theory would suggest that even after you're back at your original body composition that your energy expenditure so your calories out per day is going to be lower than it was previously even though you're at the same body composition you're at before you even started the diet and metabolic damage would also suggest that you're going to have a propensity to gain body fat at a faster rate so your body will have a hard time getting lean again for whatever reason is suggested now when it comes to that working definition of us sustaining a consequence even after we've reverted back to our original body composition it's just something we haven't seen in the research so I would love to provide some sort of a magical solution out there for people, but a lot of this stuff is physiologically predictable and not surprising. We know a lot about metabolic adaptation, and that's the terminology I and many other people like to utilize, either metabolic adaptation or adaptive thermogenesis. And it's essentially an adaptation that the body has in response to the energy intake it's taking in and its current level of body fat store availability. And no damage is associated in that term. It's adaptive and it's predictable. So this predictable adaptive state comes in the form of this bodybuilder having a reduced level of testosterone, a reduced level of thyroid hormone output. They're going to have some leptin resistance within the brain, which could affect satiety and overall metabolic rate as well, if you're familiar with leptin. It's associated with a greater level of cortisol in the body. And very importantly, it's associated with a reduction in something known as non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or NEAT for short. Uh, it's, it's always very exciting and fun and cool to talk about the hormonal variations here, but this non-exercise activity thermogenesis plays the largest role in terms of what most people would refer to as metabolic damage. But it's simply just an adaptation of people being forced by their own biology to move less and less and less and less the leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner they get and we've seen in the research that neat reductions can happen way faster the harder you diet so if you start the diet with a 40 percent deficit then your body's your biology is going to say hey whoa this is a huge caloric deficit and we're going to need to decrease our energy expenditure in the form of physical activity each and every single day so that we don't reach dangerous levels of body fat because I want you to live another day. So that's kind of the response. Neat is something that's largely genetically determined and you'll find that out as a contest prep coach. 
pretty quickly when you put people on the same deficits and then others respond one way and others don't respond another way. It's uh, it, it, There's a lot of genetics going on behind the scenes here. Even when you put people on the same diet, the same training, the same supplements, there's a lot of genetic variation. And a lot of that variation has to do with their NEAT levels. And slower diets are just kind of better overall for muscle retention and reducing kind of a post-contest binge fest anyways. So I'm just a fan of slow diets instead of hard diets for maintaining muscle, maintaining performance, maintaining psychological sanity. Um, yeah, just a normal state. Mm. There's enough to be worried about and nervous about getting on stage in a speedo. I've been there and it's <laughs> uh you, you already got enough to be kind of have anxiety about. So the diet doesn't really help that process and when you're in a bad psychological state you can get into a post-contest blow-up. People just don't stop eating. It's a, they, they get into a, a scenario where it's pretty bad. But among many, many other things, so we've got our testosterone, our thyroid, our leptin, our cortisol, our NEAT, among other things that are complex metabolic pathways, but these are predictable. So in my viewpoint, when I'm looking at the literature and I'm looking at textbooks on physiology and I'm talking it out right now, I don't think adapt predictable adaptive mechanisms should ever be viewed as damage. They're predictable adaptations. This is biology adapting to something, mm. which is what it always does. When we're in the gym, we train, it adapts to become stronger. It'll adapt to become bigger, bigger. And if we are constantly asking our adrenals to do something, then they'll adapt by producing less cortisol. There's adaptations everywhere in the body that we can predictably see in so many cases. And when it comes to that metabolic damage. I mean, uh, everybody's probably heard of the Minnesota starvation study yeah. by now. Uh, yep. It's probably something that's been discussed on the podcast before. But I mean, these guys, essentially, they took 32 dudes and they put them on a 55% calorie deficit for six months to try and uh, replicate what it would be like to be in a prisoner of war camp. So mm. it's a pretty bad study to be a part of, but the alternative was to actually go to war. So that's why these yeah. guys part in this study. But I mean, a 55% calorie deficit for context of the listeners. When, when someone hires me for fat loss, I'll, depending on what I'm looking at, um, in terms of who's sitting in front of me, I'll put them on like a 10 to 25% deficit. So this is more than double what I do and sometimes five times as much as what I do. And not only were they put on this deficit, but they had to hold it for six months. And throughout the six month process, they never showed any signs of metabolic damage. No signs of metabolic damage whatsoever. Now they did have a reduction in metabolism and this is what, you know, someone who is a proponent of reverse dieting will say, hey, these guys had a reduction in metabolism by 40% and they did have a reduction in metabolism by 40%. But when you go through the data, 25% of that was due to just a decrease in their size. So the yeah. smaller the organism is, the the more decreased energy output they're going to have size matters when it comes to metabolism that's why weight is a part of the basal metabolic rate calculation size is like the biggest part specifically size of the human and actually size of the organs are uh, the couple of the biggest parts that play a role in your metabolic rate on a daily basis so these guys decreased their metabolism by 40 percent but 25 percent was um, the 25% of that reduction was simply just due to a decrease in their size and the remaining 15% was due from the adaptation mostly coming from non-exercise activity thermogenesis. But even with 
even with that 40% drop, even like even with them saying that, it still never stopped fat loss once. <laughs> fat loss happened the entire study. There was no slowing down of that process happening, and they lost a ton of their own weight. They actually, it, the average weight loss across the study was 25% of their body mass. So for a, a uh, let's, I don't know, kilos is always tough for me, but let's if it's a 200 pound male, then they would have lost 50 pounds over the course of this study, which would be like, 50 pounds that'd be like a little 20 like 22 kilos, kilos i believe yeah something like something in that ballpark but it just was non-stop throughout the entire time despite the severity of that mm. deficit so like we can't ignore this kind of data like when, when you're going through to try and defend the metabolic damage argument when you're trying to defend that argument you're going to come up with your own case studies which you can make up if you want to and you're also going to come up with a lot of rat research so yeah. when I'm looking at evidence-based reasoning in order to get my clients the best results, I don't want to rely on uh, a handful of case studies from somebody who I don't know and then accompanying rat research to go with it and then just be expected to ignore the human data in mm -hmm. this area. So it, it's something I just can't do because when you take body composition into account, there's no evidence of metabolic damage in the literature. And I, I do mean zero. I mean yeah. zero. Yeah. And this is even when you get outside the realm of strength and conditioning. So this includes anorexic women. It even includes malnourished individuals. It includes people starving in a prisoner of war camp in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, it involves the actually controlled bodybuilding case studies that you can see within the literature as well. And then specifically in my world, if you guys do want to talk case studies, well then I'll give you the best case studies of all time. Fighters literally starving themselves to make weight. Yeah. On They're the worst. These guys are so mentally tough that before they come to me, they don't know what they're doing and they'll literally not eat for multiple days or even a week. They just drink water. They completely starve themselves to make weight on time. And then that's just way in week. <laughs> what they do prior to that is nothing short of starvation either. Like eight weeks out is just some trigger. It's old school fighter methodology to just mm -hmm. drop all carbs and only have chicken and leaves. Like mm -hmm. you just, <laughs> you become this meat eating rabbit you, you just have meat that's, plus leaves that's all you do a very for eight uh, weeks. A very vicious rabbit though you wouldn't <laughs> yeah, want to get yeah. you know you wouldn't want to meet that rabbit in a dark alley no uh, so, hey they are fighters yeah. so <laughs> it's Look, essentially what they do so I, I mean i would want to get in a cage and kick someone's butt after eight weeks of eating like a carnivorous <laughs> rabbit as yeah, well part of the process <laughs> so, and this and if you want to talk metabolic adaptation or metabolic damage why are we ignoring fighters because they, mm -hmm. they showed no signs, even in the most extreme cases, of any form of permanent damage or metabolic damage. And I, I'd be confident to just say metabolic damage can be considered a myth. There's so much data out there regarding metabolic damage in the most extreme of scenarios, both case study based and um, right within the data, anorexia, prisoner of war, you name it, it's mm -hmm. out there. So. Uh, re reverse dieting which believe it or not to the listeners i think was the original question yeah <laughs> what do i think about reverse dieting uh reverse dieting was born out of a false idea yeah so you're you're building a diet on the foundation of loose science that in my opinion has been quite efficiently debunked 
at this point. So when you're looking at the cost-benefit analysis, I believe there's multiple costs even when we start reverse dieting. There's still costs during the reverse dieting part that don't outweigh any of the proposed benefits. Okay. Well, we'll have a chat about what the, the best approach is then coming out. But um, mm-hmm. I remember, Rawdon, this must have been probably even, it must be seven years ago, I remember mm-hmm. sitting in your office mm-hmm. and this was one of the, once the metabolic damage thing sort of started to pick up a little bit of speed and we, were having, a, we were having a conversation. I remember saying, and look, I knew vastly less than what I know now, but I remember saying to you, but mate, what about prisoner yeah. POWs? Yeah. Like they just keep yeah. getting leaner and leaner yeah. and smaller Shredded. and smaller. And we went back and had this conversation and then it was in the context of dealing with some females prepping for a bikini competition and yeah. apparently thinking the world is falling down because the fat loss had slowed and yeah. in the when you think about it now it's just energy balance and neat and all these other things i guess one of the points you made at the start there dan with even when they return back to their normal body composition all these factors you know the testosterone the thyroid the leptin the cortisol all these things even if you return to the same body composition that you had pre-diet so much has changed in your environment that it's a, you're only ever one person in one moment, moment in time. time absolutely you know yeah for sure i mean things are changing the entire process and there's so much that's going on in terms of the psychology and physiology of dieting and getting someone back and all of the variables that can manipulate what they're perceiving to maybe be fat loss resistance, but it's just simply not true, especially Absolutely. when you look at all this data. Okay, well, uh, that said, cool. We're all on the same page with that one, which is awesome. What about the suggestion that um, you will get greater levels of fat gain, which I suppose lends itself that there's metabolic damage occurring, but the you know it's it's suggested you're you're hypersensitive to which for where i'm sitting that would sort of make sense because you've got no body fat so it makes sense that the body would have mechanisms to put more body fat on quicker sooner rather than Mm. later because you know it needs body fat to be healthy so it doesn't really to me uh, provide a reason not to bring calories back up to baseline because fat gain is actually what you're after to to a certain degree (laughs) But, you know, that, yeah. that'll be thrown around that you, you need to reverse diet because, you know, you're going to be hypersensitive to fat gain, so you're going to like gain a lot more fat in a, a shorter period, you know, if you do go straight back to baseline calories. Thoughts on that? I mean, if you're big picture biology, physiology type stuff, like I mentioned, it, it sounds like it would be a normal adaptation to have a, an increased rate of uh, fat gain. But any thoughts on that? I'm right with you. Like, isn't that the point? You know, it's it's totally the point. It's uh, it's actually, I think, in a way, people who have a body image problem giving license to the idea that remaining in a hypocaloric state is a good idea. It's not. It's not a good idea. It's not. It's not normal homeostasis to be there and that's why there is an adaptive mechanisms in place to try and stop you from doing that to begin mm-hmm. with and our job is to you know we can look great year you can maintain a, you can maintain a six pack year round and be healthy but you cannot maintain contest prep shape year round and be healthy yeah. that's something that uh, is reserved for only the freak of freaks because some people can there are the hyper ectomorph people that look pretty crazy year round but um I'm I'm right with you on that, and uh, you know that's one of the biggest cons of reverse dieting, is 
the the whole premise of their argument was to avoid metabolic damage but they're introducing an idea that allows them to remain in the state that would perpetuate the thing that they're against <laughs> they're, they're, it doesn't make any sense yes. to me it's like yes. you're mowing the lawn while the house is on fire like you're yeah. you're concentrating on the wrong problem right now yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting it's interesting man because uh, you know over the years i've worked with uh, you know many athletes and um one one example comes to mind where you know the individual kept uh sort of dieting and trying to maintain a, a certain level of uh body fat uh post-comp not working with me it gave the the guidance what to do post-competition and um and i think you know kept for a few months afterwards kept kept trying to keep in in contest uh shape um and uh, and then went and, and run some bloods, you know, albeit should have been a decent time frame, couple of months post comp, if they had gone back to baseline calories, gained some body fat, and, and normalized um, their caloric intake and energy expenditure. But because the, the the process went for an additional time frame after comp, when they went to the doc and checked the you know the thyroid levels and that sort of stuff, well, guess what? It still looked like there was uh, adapt adaptive thermogenesis downregulation of thyroid and and some other markers that would correlate with what's actually happening adaptation during the the competition um process so it's sort of like you're doing yourself a disservice like you're you're prolonging the inevitable there has to be some fat gain um you know if you extend the dieting period for you know months afterwards then you know what you would have faced uh over the short term post-comp you then eventually have to have to face it, you know, mm. and um, yeah, it, it was just interesting that uh, that that scenario, you know, can be one of the m- many scenarios that plays out post comp when you because you remember that the norm that they have in their head is lean with a six pack, so anything beyond that is oh my god, I'm so fat. Yeah. So I mean, the whole competition. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. The psychological. Um, uh, the expectations yeah. and the reality yeah, yeah. And, and how hard psychologically it can be to do, do a comp and, and certainly for some that are not those like you mentioned Dan that, that do stay in pretty good shape all year round well they do a comp yeah they look better but they revert back to being in pretty good shape but for some and this particular individual quite a big big journey you know 12 months in the, in the making and then you know to revert back to higher body fat levels which would have been still far better than what she was you know from the from the get-go it's sort of like um a very i think psychologically hard to deal with as well yeah i totally agree with you and like yeah i mean i've had a ton of contest clients and happiness really lies in the difference between expectations and reality Mm. um that's like what tom just said if your expectations are higher than reality then your happiness is going to suffer but when your expectations are in the correct place and you're being honest with yourself and honest with the available scientific literature, then you're able to auto-regulate yourself to do something that's not self-destructive in its own way because you're actually shooting in yourself in the foot when you remain in this hypocaloric state. So you're defeating the thing that you very much want so much to begin with. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to this kind of ideology, you're the same adaptations um, – uh, mechanism is still in place like you saw it firsthand with that blood analysis multiple months afterwards and it's, it goes further than that like there's no evidence whatsoever that people can build their metabolism up 
by slowly introducing foods either. It's just human metabolism doesn't work this way. It's dictated by things like NEAT, like thermic effect of feeding, like thermic effect of activity, like basal metabolic rate. Like these are what ultimately control your metabolism and your total daily energy expenditure on a day-to-day basis. And slowly introducing 100 calories per week is going to have no bearing on how the human body reacts in terms of its metabolism. It doesn't it doesn't make physiological sense that you could step by step build up the metabolism that way. It's just it's something that um, doesn't make physiological sense and I think it also provides more psychological stress on the client too because they have to continue their extremely rigorous tracking that rigorous Mm -hmm. calorie and macro tracking for many 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 weeks after now whereas when you just go up to maintenance afterwards and you restore healthy body fat levels you don't Mm -hmm. gain body fat healthy body fat levels um, and you get your glycogen filled up, you get your body healthy again. These are things that don't require the same level of physiological or psychological stress and are way better for the person, both performance-wise and cosmetically speaking in the long run. Way Ab- better. Absolutely, and I think that's the, um, that's the point you make when you gain body fat to a, an acceptable level, a healthy level, and not beyond. And that beyond is the typical scenario that I think a lot will see then, you know, raise their arms and say, well, metabolic damage, you know, clearly uh, my metabolism's damaged. It's like, bro, if I go get that, that person walking past me on the street, I get them, take them off the street, take them to burger joint after burger joint after pizza joint eating chocolate every night for what how long do you do it for a couple of weeks and we'll see how much fat gain they get yeah and remember they usually stop training stop doing all the cardio and activity which is okay we we can probably agree that dropping the cardio back is a good thing but the training usually goes out the window then they eventually start back training again well it sort of makes sense that in that environment if you abuse calories in any way shape or form you know you're going to gain excessive body fat beyond what you had previously because yeah you've had adaptation and the body is hypersensitive to to energy it wants to gain body fat Mm. so i think um there certainly has to be some uh and of course you know often they won't tell you that that's what they've been doing oh you know i had one or two meals off plants like really I mean, I've been there, done that. I know the type of stuff, you know, hiding things from my partner to, you know, when they weren't looking, I'd go down and get it out of the fridge and where it was hidden and, you know, eat a block of chocolate and go back to bed, you know. I know what they're doing Mm. because I've been there, done that multiple times. So, yeah, it's... it's, it's, I think think physiologically speaking, like I think physiologically speaking, it's like almost a shut case. Like people still argue about it, but I think they only argue about it because they're still new to going through the data. I think that that's kind of what, like it takes all, can take years to understand a subject, especially as complex as human metabolism. Jesus, yeah. it's huge. But I think physiologically speaking, the, the idea of metabolic damage is done. But I think that the next move in order for the industry to move forward is actually to look into the psychological reasons as to why yeah. people are actually staying and and staying in this hypocaloric state and thinking that it's winning the cost-benefit analysis and Mm. I think it really comes down to a really important message that I would want people to know is that you just simply can't put the keys to your happiness in the pocket of having a six-pack you just can't because if and, and I've just seen it and it breaks my heart because someone will you know when I get lean then I'll be happy 
And that's yeah. a dangerous road to walk down. You have to be happy with yourself first and then you'll become lean. You have to be confident with yourself before you go through the process. Because one thing I can tell you is the worst feeling in the world is to get an amazing six pack and then still feel the same. Yeah, it's yeah. not gonna change, yeah, you know? Yeah. You have to love yourself first and then the rest is gonna fall into place and then you're gonna be able to tackle this thing with the personal responsibility and emotional maturity that you need to make it a sustainable lifestyle. Absolutely, but uh, I will have to confess it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It will have to confess it's pretty damn cool. And I, I do feel pretty amazing when I when I've got a six pack. And I, I'm not I'm not shy of showing everyone the six pack too when I've got one. Well, uh, that but just I do brings agree. us back to the original, the most important thing, which is Instagram. Forget this biology. Oh, yeah. stuff. I do it for yes, the gram, of course, Tom. Of course, I do it for the gram. Very well, an, another another very advanced tactic that you could do is, is get on? as lean as possible. Uh -huh. I got my take pen out. 50, take take 52 pictures 52, when yep. you're lean yes. and then release one picture per week on uh -huh. Instagram so it looks like you're lean year round. Very good. Perfect. Because that's one never been done before. Shoot and you're done. Yeah. Maybe like three different pairs of uh, shorts or something so it looks like a different uh, day every day. Very good. <laughs> All right, I think we've uh, we've nuked that one, Tommy. That was a pretty thorough, comprehensive. Uh, we we went balls deep into that one, yeah. Dan. Did you enjoy it? I really did. I think that just put everything into perspective mm. really, really nicely. Very good. So while we're sort of in this ballpark, Dan, we've also had a few conversations of late just regarding the the calories in, calories out dynamic, and what sort of things can impact energy balance beyond just the food on the plate and your amount of activity i.e. the speed of transit time and whether you're absorbing more nutrition if it's slower or, or not getting quite enough if it's quicker and what sort of things could influence the calories in calories out balance and whether there should be any weight put into that and, and what your thoughts are on the, on and, the topic yeah and I suppose Tommy you're getting into the the world of you know um, do some things supersede the calories in calories out like if there are underlying issues you know perhaps like you mentioned tommy with digestive issues stuff like that transit time's a little out of whack um like are these things going to be more important to rectify rather than you know adhering to a well energy energy in energy out like i've got this right i'm in a deficit everything's good can't do that yet because i have these issues need to resolve these like what big picture type stuff mm. um yeah break break that one apart for us a little bit if you could Sure. So when it comes to calories in versus calories out, it's like it's never a scenario of either or. And I think that's why people get confused. Um, you there's there's always two camps. You've got a camp who will maintain that all that matters is calories. And then you have another camp that maintains all that matters is that you eat clean or that you follow my protocol that I sell stuff for. So yeah. there's, there's yeah. gonna be two camps on either side. And anybody who says that calories are the only thing that matters doesn't know what they're talking about. And anybody says that says calories don't matter also don't know what they're talking about. And it's kind of just classic nutritional industry dogmatism where you have to be a part of a camp and you can't just look at it as a whole. You know, it's, it's like you see it in the training world. You, you'll get the, the key is to always avoid the guy, quote unquote, the guy. Hmm. If you ever have the paleo guy 
or the Mediterranean guy or the keto guy or the Bosu ball guy or the German volume training guy. Anybody who is the guy doesn't understand what they're talking about because you can't make all squares fit into a circle. It's just simply not how real coaching is done and it's not even how physiology works. So whenever you're trying, I mean, that's like the biggest thing I could ever offer somebody. If anybody is ever giving you absolutist statements in training or nutrition, or, or in dosing, you know, if they say take 10 grams of glutamine post-workout. Okay, well, hold on. For a 40 kilo female and a 150 kilo man, like what are we talking about here? Is you have to try and avoid absolutist statements as much as you possibly can. So that's kind of where the root of the problem is, is people feel like they have to pick a side and you don't. You just have to find out what works for you. That's what's going to be the biggest factor in all of this is consistency beats intensity 10 times out of 10. So whenever you're finding a diet, the key thing you should be looking for is sustainability because nobody has a weight loss problem, but everybody has a maintaining their weight loss problem. That's where everybody falls short. And it's simply a deal of sustainability and not what camp or what Facebook group you choose to join. Now, addressing the subject beyond that level and diving a little bit more physiologically speaking, we kind of have to consider two main factors. Number one, the food in question. And number two, the physiology that the food is going into. Because nothing's going to impact calories in versus calories out more than the calories in that you're taking. Um, you, you, that your food trackability needs to be on point. And we can get to that in the future because most people are terrible at this. But it also matters. It's not always the food that you're eating, but it does matter the physiology that the food is going into. So what are some things that, you know, breaking those two categories down, we've got a food category and then we have, and let's call it an organism category, the organism that the food is going into. Mm -hmm. So in the food category, we can't say a calorie is a calorie. We just can't because foods have different inflammation indexes. They have different satiety indexes. They have different thermics, thermic effects of feeding, which can impact metabolic rate. They have different fiber content, which can impact uh, your satiety and the health of your gut. They have different levels of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals, which impact a lot of the important um, energy pathways in the body and ensuring that we're a healthy organism that biology gives a free path to adapt to. Because if you're, if you're an unhealthy organism, biology won't allow you to adapt from your training. But uh, having the appropriate antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals in place allow us to, you know, send the signals to our physiology that the, we are a well-fed and well-rounded machine. Um, foods can't be just called a calorie is a calorie because of their water volume and caloric density. You know, a lot of people say that watermelon, well, it's just sugar. Well, hold on a second, because a serving of watermelon has four grams of sugar, which does nothing. It's like pretty yeah. much all water. So yep. you get a ton of satiety, but very little calories, which makes it a unique food in comparison to, say, grabbing a handful of trail mix where you can mm. get the calories up very fast, very easily. And then food also matters. You know, I'm talking about all of these pr protective measures like inflammation index, satiety, thermic effect of feeding, fiber, antioxidants, water volume. But it can work in the opposite direction as well in terms of palatability. 
if we have something that's super palatable, like Rodden getting up in the middle of the night and having a block of cheese, and then going chocolate. back to bed. <laughs> chocolate, <laughs> chocolate. Let me clarify. Chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Right. Chocolate so, or a bowl of cereal. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, these things, and specifically sugar, fat, and salt. They can mm. all ap- they can all activate different appetite signaling um, pathways within our brain which make it really hard to resist. Now, of course, we could be disciplined and be like some sort of Superman, Jocko Willink type character and just never give in to anything ever because we're Jocko Willink. But um, <laughs> it's, it's palatability works in the, the, that direction as well. So the, a calorie isn't a calorie for, I don't even know how many reasons I just stated. It was over 10 and I'm probably missing a handful too. So okay. there's a lot going on in terms of food. Now, when it comes to the organism and something that can impact overall energy intake and energy expenditure of the human that is on the meal plan that we're prescribing them, we have to consider that the organism may have food allergies, intolerances, or sensitivities. They may have gut health issues, which is affecting their absorption rates from their food. They may have high levels of stress, which can reduce their thyroid output and also reduce their HCL secretion from their stomach which can then affect their absorbability of the food they're taking in the organism may already have a low mineral content and we know things like iodine and zinc are important for making thyroid hormones so if we don't have that then I don't care how good your diet is because your thyroid is gonna be so low it's gonna be in the tank so it's kind of like an independent variable there and then there's other things too like hormonal levels as well like an organism that's on trend well, the calories are going to be acted upon a little bit differently than if the person was not on trend. It's kind of a great example, actually, of it's not always just the calories. It's also the organism. Well, if you're taking anabolic steroids, you're going to do a lot of different things with those calories than you otherwise would have in a normal state of homeostasis. And then even things like sleep length and sleep quality can affect our energy in versus energy out. So it's not a matter of is it is calories in versus calories out all that matters it's a matter of just looking at the big picture and stop trying to pick camps because the health of the organism matters just as much as calories matter they both matter but how much one of them matters depends on the context of the person that's in front of you that's that's mm-hmm. essentially the breakdown of how i would essentially look at that okay right well there's a few things to unpack there dan with the food section when you rattle off at least eight to ten various influencing factors if you've got a handful as well and there's a handful still out there what about this uh inflammation index of the food what sort of mechanisms lie behind a, a highly inflammatory meal or a low inflammatory meal which might influence the ultimate uh, energy balance of that particular meal so it's essentially affecting the organism in the long run So if you have a very high inflammatory diet, that can lead to insulin resistance and therefore mess up your carbohydrate tolerance. So that's one way inflammation can affect the the organism. Inflammation um, of food over time can also increase one's water retention. So it may be perceived on the scale that you're not dropping body fat, but it's just being masked by the fact that you're holding a lot of water because you're a highly inflamed individual. So that's something else that would be okay. considerable there. And, and so um, these things being, are, with the inflammation is less acute, more systemic sort of over time kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something. And that's, you know, that's a caveat I could say for everything that I've ever said on any podcast <laughs> is mm-hmm. that biology responds to averages over time. 
That's mm. just biology. Biology always responds to the average over the course of time and very rarely in acute belts. Like people don't build muscle in the post-workout window. People build muscle over the course of a well-designed periodized program over months and years at a time. So that's uh, inflammation. It's just essentially would be having an inflammatory diet. And perhaps there's a lesson in that answer right there as well, because no one food can make you unhealthy, but diets can make you unhealthy. And the reverse is true too. No one food can make you healthy, but diets can make you healthy. Mm, so the like inflammation that. index plays a role in here, but you know, it, it would, it, it's very rare that it would be the role and yeah. that would be it. It would be what the big picture looks like as a whole. Okay. Okay. All right. What about in the um, the context of not necessarily uh, a camp, but scenario, and that you would be familiar with the Twinkie diet, mm-hmm. the guy that just sort of did focus on uh, calories in, calories out, and um, consumed a you know a diet that was uh, pretty much uh, Twinkies. I don't know if he had a multivitamin, some other things, but. But he, um, you know, over time lost lost whatever, however much weight, and then he did uh, all his blood markers and uh, his his health in general greatly improved simply because he lost uh, a certain amount of body fat, which in itself is is going to improve a, a ton of uh, you know uh, health markers within the the organism. So I guess in that context. Um, you know, as much as the, it's always going to be big picture and there's never any absolutes, I guess if you're going to get one thing right, should you put some uh, emphasis on making sure the calories, because you mentioned also, you know, misreporting and that type of stuff, and that was a different topic, but, um, but ultimately that is one of the key things you want to get right, I guess, is the, the energy prescription. Totally, totally. The energy prescription is so important. And honestly, and I'm probably even guilty of this at times as well, but like it can be more exciting to talk about, like, say, inflammation index of a meal and then yeah. kind of misrepresent that calories in versus calories out is essentially everything. So it's yeah. like, it, it, it's so important. The other things, like, how I kind of like to look at it is you can't have one without the other. Okay. I like to think about it like energy balance will ultimately impact the organism, but the organism impacts the rate at which any energy balance will exert its effects. Yes. So that, that's kind of how I like to see it. A healthier organism will adapt faster, but ultimately energy balance is what gets results at the end of the day, period. Mm. Very good. Okay. Very good. That's kind of like that's kind of like how I organize it in my brain and how I like to operate in my practice because you just can't have one without the other. They both need to be there, and you can even feel this too. Like I'm sure you guys have been at like an Arnold Expo or something, and then when you you try to keep your macros correct, but you find yourself eating like three protein bars that day, yeah. and like even if my macros are correct, I feel like crap. <laughs> when I when I don't eat the right foods, mm. it's like I, I I get bogged down, I get bloated. Yeah. So the Twinkie diet, I mean that kind of an approach, it's gonna it'll reflect itself because he lost weight. So it's kind of a a situation where it's causation's different than correlation. You know, Twinkies didn't 
allow him to become healthier. It was simply the weight loss. So he will lose weight. He'll improve his insulin sensitivity. He'll improve his um, HDL to LDL ratio. He'll lower his triglycerides. All these things will improve because he got to a healthier body weight. But that's not sustainable and in the long run nobody can sustain on that type of a diet yeah now flexible dieting shouldn't be represented as the twinkie diet because i'm actually a fan of flexible dieting i think it's great mm. um well let's let's get into that on the next topic is uh, the flexible dieting and and perhaps sure. within that that genre the uh, if it fits your macros which is obviously the extreme end of flexible dieting uh, so let's yeah. let's delve uh, into that world as well today. I mean, I think it's great, man. Like, there, the, nutrition should be viewed as tools, and tools are only as good as their application. And IIFYM, when applied correctly, could be a great tool that any coach would be lucky to have and use appropriately on a client. Like, I think a flexible dieting is great within the correct context, but you know, I think it's so great because one study that I would like to see done is a study that shows results of what I've already known for years and that the more you leave your diet in the hands of nutritional extremists, the more likely you're going to be overweight, period, mm. no, no matter how healthy the intent was to begin with. Any nutritional extremist authority, uh, the, and the, more, the more times you put your health in the hands of them, the more likely you're going to be overweight. So I think that the emergence of flexible dieting was so fantastic. I think it's a, I think it's a great approach. And if anybody wants to do flexible dieting, it's pretty easy. You're gonna have 1.8 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight per day, done. You're gonna have about 20 to 35% of your daily calories per day coming in from fats, done. And the carbs are the rest. Carbs make up whatever the rest was that. That's pretty, that's a free flexible dieting structure <laughs> right there for you. So the, you've got your macros, you're ready to rock. I wouldn't ever recommend going below 22 calories per kilo of body weight because that's where some serious adaptive thermogenesis can take place. But essentially is you'd work with those macros that I just gave you and then what you and I would have is a conversation that would say, okay, Rodden, I know you like getting up at night and having chocolate and cheese and everything else. No cheese. So, <laughs> up to up to 20% of your calories can be used for junk if you want to, and it allows you to stay adherent to the diet. So this is accuracy balanced with normalcy. 20% of your daily calories can go to whatever the heck you want them to be. The other 80% are within your quote unquote clean foods category. And I would just give them a list of foods that they could eat from and they would just follow that macronutrient distribution is. And I think it's great because no matter what your approach is, adherence should always be number one. And since Rodden can't go a day without chocolate, we would put him on this diet. And cheese. Um, what about? <laughs> is there? Because I know uh, Dean McKillop uh, and and Lizzie up there at Flex says, "Hey guys, uh, I know they have also fiber recommendations, so they're uh, aware that yeah. the fiber is important, and they actually, I think, give the guys and girls that that they are working with flexibly, um, you know, fiber recommendations. Is that something you also, if you were given that? Because I think it was thirty to thirty-five percent fat, one point eight, two point two grams." protein per kilo and the rest were carbs uh, yep. with those guidelines are you also throwing in there some minimum uh, fiber intake or just eat plenty of veggies type thing yeah so the minimum fiber intake would be 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories of dietary intake 
So that that's going to be the fiber that allows you to have your satiation, but more importantly, go to the bathroom properly and have a normal, healthy gut microbiome. So that'd be 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories coming in the diet each and every single day. And that would be a recommendation of mine, but just being perfectly honest, I don't do flexible dieting a lot. The people who come to me normally want the optimal of optimal yeah. results. And uh, I don't give 20% away. I just don't. <laughs> You're going to yeah, eat well, my it, meal. That, that was actually going to be my question, Dan. I've got a, a client who uh, owns a gym and it's like a group training sort of gym. And he did a survey with his clients with a, a whole lot of long-term clients recently. And it was, are there goals to improve? Was it improvement or maintenance? And they all put improvement. And then he looked at what they were doing Monday to Friday and what they were doing to, on weekends. And it, and it was all maintenance. So they were hitting that 80-20 kind of, yeah, good Monday to Friday in most days, but they were out Saturday night and doing these things. If we were to give Rawdon his 20% room to eat his chocolate and everything, are we going to get him in shape? Or are we just sort of keeping him floating there or thereabouts where he is? Or will I jump in there and say it comes down to calories? Yeah. <laughs> well, he will still get in shape. I, I've yeah. guys guys get shredded, shredded lean for competitions while keeping ice cream in their diet. So it's something that can definitely happen, and it's something that already has happened. So he'll he'll get in shape provided he can stay at that. Um, adherence is always number one, you know. And sometimes when you give away junk calories, so twenty percent can come from junk, that that can turn to thirty and forty pretty quickly. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, especially the leaner you get. The leaner and leaner you get, the less and less satiety you receive from your meals. Mm. And we just know that from the literature. So your your 20%, even at a subconscious level, can turn into Absolutely. 25 to 30%. And we've seen that in the literature as well. So although he can, it's just harder. And I think it's actually more advantageous to take the disciplined approach at that point in time. So you can just get your mind locked in on one pattern of eating until the thing's over. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I think, look, most of the, the as much as you said, a, a few can eat ice cream up until show day, you'll find most, I think, gravitate more towards a, a very structured, uh, regimented with, with not that 20% in there uh, at the final yep. stages of a comp prep just to take out that... Uh, temptation and the and whatever other psychological reasons that come could come along with it but that's also my you know like i do see those types of diets set up and they you know the person i'm talking to will sort of a big smile on their face yeah when i get to have my three squares of chocolate at night it's like three squares of chocolate at night like why bother like seriously but for them that's what they needed and it it allowed them to so i guess uh, it looked like a a whole food diet like the very planned diet with three squares of chocolate, chocolate so yeah. yeah flexible dieting oh well as mm. they do same as what i do you just get to eat three squares of chocolate so i guess yeah. um like i love the the flexible dieting um like on the weekends like tommy said and, and like the, the example you gave where you know you're out somewhere and you go okay i need i gotta hit about 2,000 calories okay what's on this bar and well i think when you know that and and you comprehend that it's not going to like you mentioned one one meals not unhealthy meals not going to make you know, blow the budget type thing and um, that one day as long as you adhere to, to caloric intake um, even though you might suffer some bloating and whatnot you know you're still going to be on track with whatever your goal might be so mm-hmm. I think that's where it's it, it important to un- comprehend what having flexibility is and understanding macros mm-hmm. but um, you know because some just lose their mind it's like oh my god I'm at a restaurant I can't and oh, I'll eat pizza 
I was out. There was nothing yeah. on the menu. It's yeah. like, bro, like one of the guys, um, <laughs> his name's Mike Dawn. Uh, I don't know if he listens to the program, but he uh, <laughs> he won the um, under-90s at the IFBB um, uh, qualifying show for nationals. Crazy physique. And uh, he said, uh, you know, whenever he was stuck, he would go to McDonald's and get, uh, I think it was like a grilled chicken and, and, and salad from a you know, fast food so you know you can go to McDonald's and when you're on the run and, and actually get something off the menu and he realized you know X amount of protein look at the macro breakdown and he hit his meal you know similar to what it would normally be it was just it was through McDonald's so again you know if you put the effort into it you can eat just fine when you go out yep yeah totally and then even if you take it back to step to the general population like I think the flexible dieting approach works better for people who understand dieting um you know your general population person lots of times like they can't they they don't even know what protein is like you tell them Mm. name a protein source peanut butter nuts no those are fat sources like (laughs) a lot of people have no idea what they're talking about so the flexible dieting approach for some people absolutely some of the time can can be a bad way because even subconsciously if you think that convenience must be a part of the process to solution to to be the solution to your problem then don't be surprised if you never solve the problem it, it, convenience mm. is not a part of the deal here yeah. it's not yeah. you're dieting so i think that it can be misconstrued sometimes like you can have your cake and eat it too that kind of a diet but you can if you don't want to eat anything else that day that's, yeah, well, that's the works. thing that's the thing and it's sort of like um the guys like girls I know that, that manage to maintain a great physique all year round and they're not tracking food is they, they auto-regulate. auto-regulate. They, they realize that, well, I just ate a massive, and I do this as well on, a, on yeah. a Sunday. I have a big sort of bacon and eggs and there's a ton of calories in there. So, you know, sometimes I don't eat lunch and I'll go through dinner time, you know. Um, and, and that's what they do as well. Like they'll have a big day and then the next day they they're more active you know they they go for a walk and they make sure they get the training session in they'll eat a little less on the following day or that day or a little less leading into that meal that they're going to have out so again i think it comes back to understanding uh, just food and, and calories and that big picture type stuff and you know really in, in that regard it can be quite easy to maintain a, a certain level of body composition but the caveat is for some it's far easier than for others and that 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 look that that style of eating can maintain is also vastly different from person to person you know they can be yeah ad lib and flexible and i'll go for a walk tomorrow but they still get their abs whereas you know the other person's um physique uh, resulted uh, as a result from that style of eating might just be a you know he's in okay shape type physique is just the way it is yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And then I, th- I also find that those people who do kind of do the junk food and still look amazing, they actually look even better when they don't. <laughs> it's just exactly, something yeah, I, yeah. I, my experience has just been that over time. I have nothing to reference that. But getting people ready for photo shoots and shows, when the stricter you are, it's just going to be. Um, it's just going to produce a better cosmetic look. Your aesthetics are going to be better. Pump's going to be better. You're going to be tighter. You're not going to have the water retention. You're not going to have a lot of the things that are seen as undesirable. So you might do well in your regional shows, but you're not going to do well once you get to the national level. Those guys will start to crush you. Absolutely. Awesome. I think we uh, we did a really good job on that one. I was, I was thoroughly enjoying that conversation. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. Yeah, spot on the money, Dan. Now, 
to wrap things up, you're going to be um, out in Australia, February, Perth, Melbourne, and Sydney. Sydney. It's a pretty exciting little uh, seminar schedule that you've got put together because it's a Friday night free seminar. Then we've yeah. got a Saturday hypertrophy day and a Sunday fat loss day. Just break down for the listener um, a little bit more detail what's involved in this uh, seminar series. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to be breaking down things on a level that are going to help people more than ever. That's like my goal. My goal has always been in our podcast, in everything that we do, is to provide actionable information that people have clarity on and are confident enough to start using in their practice. You know, there's been so many cases where I've learned a lot, but I've been like, I don't know if I'd ever use that. Like, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's something where you, if you're talking to another industry professional, it sounds cool to talk about and you sound like an expert. We don't really do any of that stuff in your practice and I want to reverse that I want to take that completely away so day one is going to be all about muscle building and day two is going to be all about burning fat and we're going to cover both ends of the spectrum so I'm going to be going over training in the morning both days and then nutrition in the evening both days the seminars are going to be from nine to five and we're going to go through exactly what you need to go through in order to get real real results that you're confident um, providing for your clients and I'm taking steps taking things even a step further and you're actually going to leave with free programs at this seminar and if you were to hire me as a coach online the cost of these programs alone far outweighs the cost of attending this seminar so you're going to leave with the knowledge on exactly how to design fat loss and hypertrophy training programs from scratch you're going to leave with the knowledge on how to design fat loss and hypertrophy nutrition programs from scratch and then i'm going to also give you exactly what i do with my clients because is is like i said it can be frustrating sometimes when you attend a lecture and you learn a lot but then the the speaker never actually shows you exactly what they do in their practice like they're trying to keep some sort of secret or something like that and i'm everything is 100 percent open with me you're going to get access to my best research and then the methods that i use in my practice that have been extrapolated from that research for muscle building and fat loss so that's what's going on saturday and sunday I'm going to be in Perth, February 9th and 10th. I'll be in Melbourne, February 16th and 17th. And I'll be in Sydney, February 23rd and 24th. And in all three of those cities, I'm also providing a completely free workshop to attend on Friday nights. And this workshop is actually going to be surrounding how to build a business online. So coaches, you got to attend if you're interested about building a business online. You want to make some more money online. And gym owners, you've got to attend too if you want to use online pathways in order to drive more revenue towards your in-person business. So the free workshops and the seminar weekend Australia I can't wait to come down absolutely awesome and uh, you mentioned gym owners there obviously it's geared at uh, coaches and PTs what about uh, anyone that's listening that's gen pop would they get a, a fair bit out of coming to the seminars as well yeah, absolutely. Because that's one of the things that I've been that people contact me about is when they talk, and it was actually like the very first podcast us yeah. three ever did um, a few years back now. Um, the biggest things, comments that I got were weren't about all of the science and the references that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It was about how they understood it. 
And I, I spoke in a way that they understood it and they got it and they were left with actionable tools. That's what everybody always said. I was the guy who could put things into layman's terms. Yes. And that's, uh, that's what I'm going to do at this seminar. So you don't have to be a super hyper professional to be able to leave with all the information that I'm providing there. So don't be, don't be afraid. <laughs> if you're listening to me right now, don't be afraid. You can come on down and you're going to leave with a lot of value. Yeah, absolutely, because Tommy and I are both uh, doctors, and that's why we understand everything you say. That's but, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, our listeners don't yeah. have to have been to university for many no, years no, like no, us, no. Tommy. Super hyper, ultra professional. Yeah. Ultra professional yeah, we are. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And uh, last time we spoke about this, you also said that there was a little bit of a, a different perspective and a little bit of a spin on things with what you're going to present. Not giving too much away now, but maybe a, a, a different concept that our, our listeners might not be aware of in regards to, I think it was training or nutrition or something. Is that right? You got a little, uh, a few, few tricks up your sleeve. Yeah, I've got some tricks up my sleeve, my friend. I'm not gonna give too much away. <laughs> well, here, there you go. You get, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be going over some strategies. Loosely speaking, I'm gonna be going over some strategies I don't see anybody else talking about in the industry, specifically to get over plateaus. So there's Very gonna cool. be special sections in the days that go over certain plateau busting strategies mm -hmm. that uh, I follow all the same experts you guys follow and I don't see anybody talking about them. So I'm actually excited. I think we're gonna break through some new ground in these well, seminars. Well, you better not tell us off here because we'll just uh, jump on here and record something <laughs> and make it uh, claim it's ours before you Just completely rip me off right before the seminar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Under the bar way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. This is uh, this is exciting, and um, Tommy and I are going to be. Uh, we should be able to uh, come along to uh, one of those on uh, in Feb. So we're going to um, spread the feelers and, and and spread the love and get behind this uh, seminar series and uh, and tag. Let's see if we can scab a couple of free free spots, Tommy. What yeah, yeah I want to get some of those free programs and yeah. just start dishing those out. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. the under the bar way. Under the bar way. <laughs> well, hold on. So the under the bar way is to get in for free and then steal my content. Out. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, I like how you guys are. And then, of course, you'll you'll ask uh, questions. Uh, Rawdon, up the back, uh, anything you'd like to contribute? I don't know. I'll just sort of be quiet on my phone and, and be really rude up the back and not engage in any way, shape, or form. Yes. It's the, uh, Leave the, the air of arrogance. You'll be able to yeah. sense the air of arrogance. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, fantastic. I might, I might be confusing, confusing myself with <laughs> confusing myself with someone else there, Tommy. Yeah. Ah, well, very good. All right, Dan. Well, mate, look, it's been illuminating and uh, an absolute pleasure as it always is. Uh, really excited to uh, continue touching base and pump this seminar for February. It's good. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys once again so much for having me on this podcast. And thank you to all the listeners listening as well. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And Australia, I'm looking forward to come hanging out with you guys in February. Let's party. Awesome, awesome Dan. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you then, brother. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. Yes, Dan Garner, once mm. again, Rawdon just mm. uh, does such a wonderful job of breaking down these concepts mm. into easily understandable packages. Bite-sized chunks, yeah. Yeah, a couple of key quotes in there, the physiology of the organism and the food that goes into it. So what state is the body in, general health status, mm. hormone status, before you're feeding it the food and then that other further distinction that no one food can make you unhealthy Absolutely. but diets can it's yeah. that big picture biology stuff and averages over time uh, yeah. i think that's a, a relevant concept there and averages over time of crappy food uh, it's yes. going to be bad and that, yeah. that falls under the diet uh, and uh you, you know uh one of the things that i really love about dan is his ability to uh 
to articulate a response um, and really answer all the points that we raise because some of the guests that we have as, as amazing and wonderful as they are you know they don't always necessarily answer the the question they, they give us some great content but mm. but uh, what i love from dan is he always very specifically covers each point addresses the question yeah, yeah. i don't know if he's scribbling notes from his end but uh very good at speaking and um i know he's doing a lot of uh, uh speaking performances these days and uh, i guess speaking at various things mm. so absolutely awesome and uh, like we mentioned at the start uh, the program he's uh he's coming out to uh Sydney and uh, end of February, end of Feb, and yep. uh, Perth and uh, Perth and Melbourne, Melbourne, I believe. I do believe. Yeah, but you can go to Dan Garner's uh, Team Garner social media channels and, and yep. get access to all the info for that. But that'll be absolutely well worth it, and I look forward to that. Actually, it's going to yeah, be good. It's going to be a cracker. Be so the three day, uh, three three days of uh, content there. Mm-hmm. Friday being the free day. Right, Rodden. If people want to get in contact with you, where do they go? Yeah, uh, so they can. Uh, Catch me at the Dubois Method uh, at gmail.com if they mm-hmm. want to shoot me a direct or uh, on my uh, Instagram or um, Facebook mm. pages, they can hit me up. So that's uh, that's how they get in touch with me. Okay, for me, tomhewitt.com.au. And uh, I think the thrusters are starting, Rawdon. Okay. We've got to get this puppy back to Sydney. This Millennium Noggin is not going to fly itself, Tom. You better take the controls. I'll get on my side. Cam, are you ready? Strap yourselves in. Let's get out of here, Tommy. Thank you.